Hey folks, Ed Williams here, Dr. Ed Williams. Uh, most people know me as a facial plastic surgeon and um, I've always been somewhat of a frustrated entrepreneur <laughs> in my life. Um, and part of that is I've always, but I'm also very, very passionate about teaching. The reason I moved to the area that I'm at uh, is to be near Albany Medical Center because I want to be worked with residents. So I've educated about 20 fellows now and dozens and dozens of uh, residents. And one of the things that I was, I always enjoyed the most was mentoring them in their next phase, like the career, picking out where they're going to go and how to, you know, how to make some certain, certain decisions and practices and whatever. So uh, I do have a website. It's called dredwilliams.com. Uh, we have a bunch of podcasts. I just recently had a book come out and a lot of educational and I material, but today I'm really, really excited to, um, introduce an interview and speak with um, Ryan Miller. Now, the, the topic of this is overcoming marketing anxiety and how to uh, successfully market your practice. And the reason I think that um, people will, you know, why, why am I going to cover this topic? And the reason why is I hate marketing. And, and you know, and it's, it's, so anxiety provoking for me and so many years many 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 years i did like none zero you know and, but the reason and i think people who are listening will find this interesting but i've never met you have i ryan no, oh yeah never 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 i really haven't i've never never met him but i know of his work and uh you know take this as a plug i have a tremendous amount of respect for him and um you know listen there are good people in they're good doctors and they're bad doctors. They're good marketers and they're bad marketers. But I've always been impressed because your approach has always been uh, to educate and to teach. And it's genuine. I, I've listened to your work, um, some of your podcasts, um, and they, they, they are not salesy. And I think that a lot of the meetings that I run, um, the practice management development sessions, the ones that are most successful are the ones that are not um, – letting industry dictate the discussion. Um, but I've always been very, very impressed with your integrity. And so I wanted to to speak to you having, you know, for those who don't know as well, I've tried to get Mark, uh, Ryan <laughs> as uh, to someone. He happens to market for our competitor across town. So we've been trying to drip on him for years, but he this is kind of this, a testament to his integrity. He won't take us on. Um, so that's been one of my frustrations. I'll, I'll be honest, but that's okay. Um, so I want to I want to get right into the interview and, and talk to you um, a little bit. You know, Ryan. Um, so tell me, just tell me a little bit about about yourself and you know how you how you got into your field and you know what you know what, at what point did you say I'm going to do this and go down this road and start your company? So just tell me a little bit about about you know Atna. Yeah, sure. So. Um this is now where I'm just about to enter into, I think, my uh, 22nd or 23rd year of leading online marketing within the aesthetic space. Uh, I had been, um, I'm, I'm a, ironically, I'm an, I'm an engineer by training and, uh, and ended up with a career in high tech straight out of college, built and sold a company. And uh, during a consulting engagement that, uh, that I had uh, shortly after selling uh, that company, I was recruited uh, by a company called the, the Plastic Surgery Company. It was one of the first roll-ups, you may remember it, 
Um, and they had uh, acquired an interest in uh, a little bit over 30 plastic surgery practices around the United States. And uh, I was brought in as the uh, vice president. Of, I, I joked that my title is, was vice president of anything with a plug uh, because I was responsible for both technology and uh, digital marketing for that organization. And did everything from installing and configuring practice management software to really pioneering how practices inside that group are going to use the internet. This is now two decades ago to, to grow, to attract new patients. And um, not long after I was recruited by that organization, they decided to move their headquarters out of California and into Georgia. Um, and I, I really wasn't comfortable with that move. But my, my life and my home were in California. And uh, so 17 years ago, I, I left that group, uh, started Aetna Interactive and took on those, I think there were 32 practices at the time, those 32 practices as my first 32 clients. And I think that entry to the, to the market is a really important place to understand in terms of where we start and why we, we behave the way that we do is because we were from the very beginning, we were effectively employees of these practices and we operate today, I think still um, with the understanding that, you know, we are entrusted as though we are members of, of those teams, the teams for all the clients that we support and it's our obligation to, to both protect and to grow our practices. Yeah. So, you know, Ryan's company is at, uh, Aetna International or Aetna Interactive, uh, which is a marketing um, company for plastic surgery, not just plastic surgery, but any type of aesthetic practice, I believe, right, Ryan? Tell me something um, about you that we don't know. I mean, what, you know, what are your, one of your dark secrets or maybe it's just something, a uh, fun fact about you, what, you know? Uh, well, it's funny, I think probably, and I, I don't know that this is a secret at all, but it may be why why you felt compelled to reach out, but uh, I am nearly complete with a, a master's in education. I, I, uh, I dropped out of one last course as a conscientious objector, and if you had to go back and finish it, I had a, a little bit of a beef with the professor. Um, but I, I love education. Um, a significant amount of my volunteer work in my local community is education-based, and um, you know, like you, I'm, I'm really passionate about um, working with uh, physician business owners, and I think perhaps ironically, you, you talked about your love of working with residents. I uh, actually get on a plane in a few hours to uh, attend and lecture at the ASAPS Resident Symposium, looking at you know really what the next generation of, of plastic surgeons is going to be facing as they consider either becoming employed physicians or starting their own practice in the next couple of years. Well, we're going to come back to that because I'm going to ask you to predict the future at the end. <laughs> I always love that. Uh, so, so tell me about, um, you know, I know you said about 20, 17 years ago, you started that. Now. Yeah. Or was it 22 years ago? 17. Okay. So, um, what, tell me about your company. I mean, what, uh, you know, what, what is your focus? How much is digital? How much is, uh, conventional? Do you, are you kind of full service? Do you do social media and how many employees, that type of thing? Yeah. So we're a team of 70 today, seven zero, and uh, we're all based here in California. Um, we all work out of the, the same offices. We've tried over the years to, to test work with uh, remote workers and contractors and offshore and just found to achieve the quality that our clients expect. Um, for us, it worked best when those, those teams were in-house. Um, we are full service digital, so we do everything from uh, you know, traditional SEO and local SEO through paid media management, social media ad management through large campaigns, content marketing and email marketing. And um, you know, we, we you know, kind of pull back and look at how as a company we're helping clients today. Um, 
you know, we've had to over the last couple of years acknowledge that there's really two big changes that are afoot uh, in the medical industry in general and in online marketing specifically. You know, we we see both in the U.S. and in Canada, we work across North America, that there's um, uh, quite a bit of consolidation happening, a lot of uh, entry of private equity. And so for the last couple of years, we've uh, had to build up a new division inside the organization that mm -hmm. um, is serving a growing number of large group practices. In fact, for us, it's the fastest area of growth for our company. Um, groups that are uh, typically 20 locations and larger. And, uh, you know, on the other side, it's really about addressing the increasing complexity, you know, and Dr. Williams, I think this is the thing when you talked about at the very beginning of the show, the the anxiety, <laughs> I think like the hate that you feel when it comes to thinking about online marketing, it's um, one, I think it's the resentment that you have to do it at all, right? Because there was a period of time where you used to just be able to hang up a shingle and and patients would walk through the door. Um, but increasingly, um, the, the complexity and the diversity of activities that you would have to engage in, the areas that you would have to be expert in, they're just multiplying. And so, oh, I know, and especially with, you know, the smaller you know, groups. I mean, you talk about, you know, the complexity of a consolidated group and you're dealing with someone who is a higher level leadership management team, you know, imagine the doctor, you know, and I, I just, uh, not to, to beat a dead horse, but it is really something that gives a lot of us anxiety. I mean, I have a much bigger group than most people, but, um, you know, it's no longer, you know, I always say that for years, I went to six, seven meetings on the podium, every meeting, you know, did my humanitarian work and, it, and you know, wrote, published because it was the right thing to do. It wasn't because it was a photo op. And so you can, you can see how, you know, some of us with, uh, you know, with, with gray hair and part of the establishment, if you will, really worked hard. And then, you know, you see, I mean, a guy, who, you know, or a woman you, you've known who's out for two years and all of a sudden they're internationally renowned Beverly Hills, right? Anyway, so, and it makes us feel like it, it almost feel, and, and part of it, it makes you feel dirty because some of it is just so disingenuous and dishonest. So, Anyway, I don't mean to, but that's that's why you know it gives a lot of us anxiety. So the surgical deep state theory here is that what is that what we're getting into? Yeah. Well, <laughs> and, and, I mean to your point, uh, uh, let's look at that example even that you just talked about, right? That you know you you have a career of time at the podium, and then you have an agency like us coming in and saying, "Hey, look, if you're if you have a KOL relationship with uh, uh, an industry partner, if you are an invited speaker within this organization." And, um, if you're doing humanitarian work, let's now let's now start publishing those things. Let's start talking about them on social media because that is today a part of what's required for us to make you successful. I understand that, um, you know, I would say in the one breath that uh, this is going to feel foreign for a lot of providers. It's going to be an uncomfortable space to operate in. And in the next breath, I'll tell you that today, if you want to compete um, for many clinics that don't have enough critical mass behind their word of mouth referral network to be as busy as they want on that alone today to compete you are going to have to do some things that that stretch your comfort not stretch and we realize not stretch that. your ethics right i, I think yeah. that everything can be done within your your framework and your value system um but you know when we talk about that you know that going back to about where we're going today, it's really about helping our practices, especially, you know, offices like yours, master the complexity and adapt to um, the insanely rapid pace of change in online market. Yeah. And, you know, along those lines, so, so let me 
you know, YouTube, right? And um, for years, I, I would never, sh I mean, I've got so much content, you know, surgical dissections, intraoperatives, you know, video, whatever. And for so long, I would never put that, to, to put that out there, like on the internet is like, it's like you know, taking your clothes off. You know I mean? This is like sacred stuff that you show your colleagues. And yet, as I say now, um, marketing is an integral part of every business and so sales. And I get that. And so we have to, I believe now, look at this very differently. Uh, it's no longer to just do good work. So fast forward. I have, and this this is what fits within my comfort level. I've put together some very well done YouTube videos on how to place an Ava rim graft or what have you. And we're getting patients from a distance, you know, that see these videos. And what I do, what so I don't feel dirty because at least it's a holy, it's you know, educational, and I have all the detail and all my secrets. And I go to meetings, and, and I have young colleagues come up to me and say, "Dr. Williams, thank you so much. I, you know, I had a case and I watched your video and whatever." So. It can be done, I believe, now within your ethics without, you know, again, world-renowned Beverly Hills, you know. Um, so I, th I think that it can be. And I'm, as I say now to, to my team, I'm, I'm over it. You know, I'm over not wanting to market. Um, but this is this is why, you know, it's it's hard for a lot of us. And even, you know, one of the things I look at, too, with the you know, younger generation, some of the things that are basically not um, honest or disingenuous are you know some of the younger people are learning it's okay because that's how you get ahead yeah. so that's another level of complexity um what's your you know what's your average you know your average customer um you know you've got about 70 on your team what's your average account average customer look like yeah so we, i think we have two customer groups right we'd have to define an average within each, each group the first segment is that private or small group practice um most of them are offices where there are three to five providers, the mix may vary, maybe a couple of surgeons and a, a couple of injectors or estheticians or one surgeon and a few injectors and estheticians. Um, and uh, the vast majority of them are, because we work with one practice per specialty within a 15 mile radius, as you kind of alluded to at the top of the hour, um, it, you know, for most of them, they're outside of major metros because of the nature of um, our geographic exclusivity. And so they're having to market not into just one uh, city, but into a territory that often includes, includes several cities or townships. Um, they usually have uh, at least a, a half-time or one full-time marketing support person on the team who's our partner in the practice um, with whom we collaborate in the promotion. And, you know, as we've seen this wave of large groups grow, we have a, a second typical customer for us that um, is a group that's uh, approximately you know, 18 locations, if we look across all of our large groups, that um, uh, ironically has also a half to one full-time marketing professional. Granted, they're usually someone who uh, is in a different place professionally, has more experience than what we see inside of a typical private practice, and is doing much more wrangling of multiple agencies and vendors to achieve the broader goal of the group. So two different, uh, two different uh, practices that we serve. Do you, do you find it more difficult dealing with a three or four physician, not provider? Let's forget nurse injectors because I, you know, I think we don't need to get off on a tangent, but do you find it more difficult dealing with three or four doctors in a group than the one who has uh, got an ego and is happy to throw their money at 
uh, things and balancing all that out. So we're, I think we're very fortunate in that most of the groups that we work with um, have solved this problem before we came into the picture. The problem of uh, who will speak for the voice of the group uh, in different areas. And most of our, the groups we work with have committees where a small constituent of, uh, you know, the you know, one or two of the five surgeons say are responsible for making the decisions as it relates to the online marketing category. So um, we've certainly seen over the years that the groups who haven't worked out uh, the command and control structure, um, uh, candidly, they're, they're horrible accounts and um, we usually won't welcome them. We usually weed them out during uh, um, the sales consultation process. But where it's clear that they have uh, the ability to make those decisions, they can actually be great partners. The challenge, you know, that we see Dr. Williams with those small group, the, the the private practice where uh, it's the physician as the producer, physician as leader, physician as marketer, physician as strategist, um, you know, can be just the limitation on on their time and the fact that they become a bottleneck for many things. So, um, you know, perhaps contrary to what. I think the way that what you were thinking when you're asking the question, the the private practice can at times be harder to work with. And I get that. It's I, you've also left a few or kind. <clears throat> you're kind because you've left a few other things out. You know because you 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 didn't mention physician ego and yeah. and those type of things. Uh, because when you're dealing with a one person group of think you know, I think that physicians are by and large, you know, they go through all this training and they think they understand business. So they think they're smarter than everybody else. I'm just being honest. And I, and this is some of the arrogance that I've come across with, you know, my colleagues. It, uh, and so it brings me in, kind of into my next question. You've been doing this long enough, just like, you know, we, we deal with patients long enough that as I tell my team, you know, 10% of the people give you 90% of the grief, right? 10% of your customers. So when you're, going through your interview process, your discovery process, how do you, how do you vet out those practices? Cause ultimately you're, you're judged by your ability to deliver, right? And your ability to, to, to make an impact. Some people are not coachable. How do you vet them? Yeah. So, um, you know, as I think about the idea that, you know, 10% of our customers give us 90% of our grief, I, I don't think that's true of practices in general. And the way that I would, qualify, I guess, uh, my answer is that um, that there is no such thing as a bad customer. Just as we coach our physician clients, there's no such thing as a bad lead. They're just bad fits, right? If they're out there shopping, they will eventually find a way to buy. In the case of us, if they're out there looking for an online marketing partner, they will eventually find someone who's an appropriate fit. And, uh, you know, we learned, because we've been at this for a long time, we, we learned that um, there are um, both values and expectations that we fit well with, and there are value systems and expectations that where we don't. And you know what we know is that um, I'll give you a couple of examples for a practice that uh, wants and needs growth, and they know exactly where they want that that growth to come from. Right? They can talk about how much and in what procedure categories it needs to happen. For a practice where uh, they are accessible where they make themselves available for meetings and discussion. Um, and for a practice that, um, you know, for example, that cares about their reputation, that those are signals to us that this is probably somebody that's going to be a good values fit. Um, and then we can contrast that with the practice who um, says they want growth when the doctor is already booked, uh, you know, six months into the future and they can't 
describe exactly where or how our efforts are going to benefit the practice, um, when the doctor won't be bothered, uh, you know, a couple of times a month to participate in strategy or planning sessions, and um, uh, and they feel like their reputation is just them being bullied by patients online. We're probably not going to be simpatico, and those you know those partnerships aren't going to go anywhere. We actually have a list of twelve criteria that we train our business development team as we go through the um, uh, the sales planning process. You know, detailed evaluation, discovery on goals, planning, and proposal to to watch for specific signs and behaviors. And as they come up, um, we have no we have no reservation about politely bowing out of a sales process when too many of those uh, concerning boxes get checked. Right. And, I, and I, I would guess, I would guess that <clears throat> one is a good fit and the, you're more successful and they're more successful. So, I mean, without pulling out your list of 12, you know, two or three or four off the top of your head that you can say, because, you know, there's a, there are a lot of, you know, younger folks listening to this and saying, Hey, Harry, you know, what do I, I want to be coachable. You know, I want to get to that next level. You know, what do I need to do? What What are the kind of attributes that you look for in a physician practice to say, we're going to make an impact. They're going to get value from working with us. Yeah. So I, I would say one of the things we look for is that they can, um, they understand how to measure performance and that rather than being fixated on uh, any one online marketing channel or a few keywords, we're able to have conversations about um uh, top line lead or revenue growth right so the ability to look at what really matters we aren't marketing to be number one or number two for a specific keyword we're marketing to find the right quality of patients to grow the practice in the way that it wants to grow um you know we found that either professional leadership or a physician who can behave like a professional leader um is going to be important for us so uh, someone who is going to bring a, a little bit of business analysis to the way that they invest in the decisions that they make online is important for us. Yeah. Um, planners for us is important. You know, we see practices that can alert us at least uh, you know 30 days or more before they uh, bring somebody new onto the team, acquire a new uh, piece of technology, or start offering a new procedure, or you know recognize in advance that they have a whole in their schedule that they need to fill that the the ability to plan rather than constantly be running fire drills um, i think is a sign that a practice is going to be more successful and um a, a practice who can you know i think uh understand correlation between budget and the anticipated level of return that small budgets are generally going to have a small but respectable return, and that bigger budgets may be needed if you have a bigger need. All of those things, uh, you know, I think are common among some of our best accounts. Yeah. So, yeah, what advice would you give you know, based on that? And I, I'm a leadership freak, sure. so you know, I, I, you're speaking my language. Uh, it all, it all always starts at the top. Yeah. Right. Um, I'm also a planner, so I, I get that, you know, you know, fire running out, putting out fires all the time is not the effective way to do business. Um, and I, you know, one of the things I always talk to my young docs about is taking time, <clears throat> making time and taking time to work on their business versus just in their business, you know, the old Edith thing. So you got a young facial plastic surgeon, plastic surgeon who's been out five years. 
Okay. And it comes to you, you know, maybe 10 years and is looking for a plan. He says, I don't know anything about marketing, but I do know I need to market. What advice would you give? And, and they, what their, their goal, right? They're measurable. They want to become, they're in a community, say like, you know, we are half a million, a half a million people in the uh, population with a draw of a million, a million and a quarter. Because it sounds like, again, you have been most effective in the, you know, you go to a metropolitan area, it, it just, it's noise, right? You're trying to market. But I want to be, I want to be a household name in my area, synonymous with plastic surgery. I'm willing to invest the next five or 10 years. Talk to me about a plan. How would, how would you, uh, you know, what advice would you give to that young doctor? Yeah. I mean, the first one I'm, I'm, I'm sure that you've talked about this before is that it really begins and ends with your people. And um, that before you even contemplate uh, how and where you're going to invest with marketing, you need to make sure that you have the people on your team who are committed to servicing the inquiries that are that are coming through, and that they understand the value of your investment and what you're trying to achieve in your practice. You know, we um, still, 17 years later, as we onboard new clients. Um, you know, take a critical look with the, each new account at how fast they're responding to both email and how they are addressing their phone calls. Um, and while I think all of the, the the offices that we work with are very well intentioned, it's not uncommon both that we see emails, um, you know, neglected for several hours or several days, treated kind of as second class communications relative to phone calls, that we see one communication go out as a follow up and then no additional um, uh, no additional follow-up the days or the weeks that, that come, you know, that come in the future. We listen to phone calls where um, the staff is largely dismissive and disengaged and really not expressing a sincere interest in, you know, who that patient is and how this practice is going to help them. And so that first investment in the team is the thing that we always push back on and say, you know, make sure you're doing these things well. You know, after that, I think it's important that practices understand that there are, um, there are good foundations in almost every digital marketing channel. And we generally recommend that you do fewer channels initially, get them right, and then build out from there. So I'll go with something very simple and mundane. Let's talk about email marketing for a moment. Um, you know, still today, although it's not nearly as sexy as social media, the return on email marketing investment will, um, for a mature practice will be markedly higher uh, than what they're going to see in social media, unless they're able to achieve some degree of social media celebrity, which for many practices is a hard thing. So given that, you know, from day one, is your practice collecting consented subscriptions in office? Is it actively promoted, you know, in your physical, in your one-on-one -on -one interactions with patients, uh, the value of that newsletter subscription? Do all of your forms and lead capture vehicles online, do they have that, uh, that, that checkbox to opt in so that your list is going to grow as fast as possible. And whether it's an agency or a member of your team, are you aware of the best practices to uh, maintain a healthy list, to diminish uh, unsubscribe rates, and to give people what they want so that they can continue to extract value from that? Right, That's one channel. And in each of the things that a practice might choose, it's about stepping back and saying, do I know how to do this? Well, and hopefully, hopefully we have a, you know, a partner or whether it's a member of the team or an agency that's able to give you that guidance. Fortunately, what we see very often, especially with younger practices, is it's like a, a shotgun approach to marketing. They um, get instantly busy in 10, 15 different channels, and they do all of them horribly. 
And then they step back and they'll, you know, they, this is why I think some people feel anxiety about marketing is because they do too much too poorly. And then it all feels as though it's not serving them or their goals. Um, so the second recommendation, I guess, or I guess third recommendation, I would guess, after you're focused on foundations is within the channels you've chosen, focus on quality rather than quantity. It's not about um, hiring a, an overseas vendor to produce 15 blog posts a month. Do one really good blog post a month that offers the best damn coverage of that topic that's available on the internet. That is going to outperform um, you know, those uh, poorly written, poorly targeted, uh, uh, short blog posts every day today. And probably the, the last two things I would recommend to that, that surgeon who's really getting ready to lean in is that um, you have to stay on top of Google's guidelines. Uh, they are rapidly evolving. In just the last couple of months, there have been several major announcements that have uh, a huge implication for the future of being able to market medicine. And if you don't have, um, either through your own monitoring or the member of your team, if you don't have an agency partner that's going to come at you proactively and say, here's this change, here's what we need to do to evolve, you're going to end up behind very, very quickly. Um, and finally, I, I think this is, you know, if we, we're going to, I'll, I'll, uh, open the kimono a little bit on, on what I think we need to talk about in terms of the future. I'd, I'd say, you know, you need to think about both the team and the technology today that's going to be able to provide omni-channel customer service, the ability to meet your patients where they are, whether it's on a, in a chat window, through SMS, on a social media platform, on email or on phone. Uh, patients expect us today to, to communicate with them on all of those channels and to keep the conversation straight, um, not just you know, from one day to the next, but from one staff member to the next. And uh, most practices today really aren't ready to meet that challenge. So if I heard you right, I mean, one of the things, and, and again, I'm, I, I'm a team leadership freak. It doesn't do you any good to ready aim or, you know, ready market and then aim. Yeah. And aiming really is building your team so that when a lead does come in, because you can do all the marketing that you want if you're, if you don't have the team, right? to follow up and do what they're supposed to. Number two, uh, you, you know, I mean, you make a great point. Someone who's been in practice for 10 years should have a good, if they're not doing their best, you know, their best dollar spent is in good email marketing. If they've got a relationship with people versus just, you know, blank social media all over the place, stay on top of Google guidelines. Uh, as you mentioned, there was an article in the wall street journal a couple of weeks ago on Google. Uh, I don't know if you saw it. It was fascinating. Um, but the bottom line is, you know, we can do our best to try to understand what Google wants. The reality is, you know, there's still a lot of outside influence, uh, not just you know, there's pay to play influence. There's uh, what Google wants you to see. So, you know, you can make yourself trying, crazy trying to understand this. Uh, but I think if people do the right thing and create real content, chances are better that they're going to get seen than just throwing, as I call you, know, crap out there. And then, uh, you know, again, the team and technology approach. So if you, I mean, I'm, I want to hear your thoughts to, you know, uh, digital internet um, technology-based marketing is sexy now, right? So you're talking about someone in a, in a town. Give up on print, give up on, I mean, there must be some recommendation you would you would make as far as, allocating a certain part of it toward traditional marketing 
versus, uh, you know, relationships you already and relationships you already have versus just digital. Um, you know, just want to hear your thoughts. On that. Yeah. So, I mean, let's, let's obviously, let's call out my bias first, right? I, I have a yeah. digital marketing consultancy. We don't do offline media buys. Um, but I'm, I, I'm, uh, I'll draw on a campaign that we just closed out. So during the month of November with one of our accounts, uh, we ran uh, for their med spa uh, promotion that ran for 30 days. It was Black Friday all November long. Mm -hmm. And uh, they they came to us at the start of the calendar year. Uh, last year, that campaign was run by a traditional agency and um, they spent uh, over $100,000 in... Um, offline advertising, mostly newspaper advertising in their community to promote um, to promote that program. And this year we, we cut the newspaper advertising from it. We did uh, spend some money on billboards, but we reduced the total spend by a full order of magnitude. We spent 10 times less this year uh, and sold about 18% more inside the program. And um, I don't believe that... Uh, uh, all offline advertising is fruitless. I think that, you know, brand building still requires, I think you said uh, just a little bit ago, you said, you know, if, if I want to be recognized as a name in my community uh, for plastic surgery, if you think about something like search engine optimization, it's only going to reach those people who are already searching for the service. If you want to be out in front of uh, people who aren't today in the market for plastic surgery, you're going to have to hit them offline somewhere. And, you know, as we look between uh, traditional print advertising, um, you know, you know, television airtime, whether that's earned or, or purchased um, or things like outdoor advertising and billboards, there's still a, a place for it, especially early in your career while you're building um, that brand and the awareness in your community. But the thing that's, you know, that's going to be able to be more readily tracked, the thing that's going to bring patients just in time, right, as they're looking for services today, it's really going to be online marketing. I mean, technology. Let's face it, technology-based advertising is still relatively inexpensive compared to print in a newspaper, right? Oh, yeah. A billboard. yeah, yeah, it's, it's incredible, and you can just hit so many people. Uh, again, you're you know you're leveraging technology along those lines. Um, what? So let me uh, ask you about, uh, and I. I'll, we got about ten more minutes here, so I want to I want to pick your brain about the future. You know, you talk to me about what you would do if you were uh, a young aesthetic surgeon starting out. Where do you think the future is going? Where do you think the future is going for? You mentioned consolidation, and I don't disagree with you. I think there's an opportunity for some consolidation. Are doctors going to work for the for the man? Are they going to work for the system? Are they going to stay independent? Uh, is there still room for, you know, the rock stars or the people who have really done a good, good job branding themselves? I just want to hear what your thoughts are about the future. Yeah, I, um, it's funny. I just delivered a, a presentation last weekend for a group of Canadian doctors at their annual meeting, and, and they had a similar question. And it, it, it really calls for reflection. It's, you know, what what's based on what we know, what can we see that's coming? And unfortunately, it's... Um, I think my future predictions are uh, really about raising the bar in terms of the challenge for the private physician practice. Um, we can readily expect that there will be both more and more fierce competition. 
And, and I, I agree with you. I mean, look, with the Affordable Care Act, right, you're seeing more and more traditional physicians and traditional plastic surgeons that are all of a sudden, quote, interested in aesthetic medicine now. I mean, you know, then you see these Lyme disease clinics, clinics popping up, all fee-for-service types of. So when I was president of our academy, I wrote in our, our my you know, monthly address that we have a window of opportunity for those of us who feel like we've got a lot of talent, skills, and training to to drive this home because this is going to be a pressure cooker in the next uh you know and five six years later you know i'm, I'm hearing you say that because i do believe i mean do you believe it's going to continue to get more and more competitive yeah i mean think about and it so we've got sophisticated are going to have a tough time yeah so with with the consolidation that's happening you have large sophisticated groups that are coming into the markets i think many Many clinics already see national, nationally branded clinics, especially in the non-surgical arena, who are coming in. Um, not as much consolidation is happening on the surgical side, which so it's a, a territory that. Uh, why do you think that is? I'll tell you. <laughs> so, as someone who is a part of a, a rolled-up group of surgeons, it's it's damn hard to take a um, a facial plastic surgeon or a plastic surgeon and who's run a successful private practice to want to join a group and obey a corporate master. Hurting you know, cash. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not it's not it's not in your DNA. At least, not in your generation's DNA. But the the next generation of residents that are coming out are all talking about. Why do you think are that becoming is? employed surgeons? Um, Why do you think that they're they're more amenable to being employed? I, you know, I think it's a value. It's a it's a values call. I think that for many of um, the newest generations of surgeons who are contemplating practice, they look at how hard it is how much you have to work and what you have to give up to reach a financial goal. And I think they're less driven by the financial goal and a little bit more um, by a, a quality of life, consistency, and dependency goal. And I, I, I think that, you know, it's, it's simply more aligned with the, the value system of the next generation. It is not to say that there aren't um, really ambitious young surgeons who can't wait to get into their private practice um, but it's just as I, you know, I talk with younger surgeons say it's not as, as much, it's not as common uh, that we see large groups that are thinking that way. But if you factor in competition from um, non-core providers uh, coming after non-surgical services, the, the large and rapid growth of um, that category and the uh, influence of consolidation, you're really getting pinched on both sides. And um, frankly, you know, online marketing, if we go back even five to seven years, there were providers who, um, you know, late in their career, it's an, yeah, I'm not going to, I'm going to hold off on this channel or that channel. I'm not going to invest very heavily. Now they realize in order to truly compete, I've got to be present in social media advertising. And so today we have uh, 10 times more people who are bidding for the same or more limited real estate on platforms like social media, uh, just making it harder to really stand out. And I've come to the same conclusion that you have about, you know, I don't want to say younger physicians, but physicians, you know, uh, you know, wanting to take, they have, many of them have more debt. I mean, I had debt, a lot of us had debt, but a lot of them are just, uh, it's, it's where their values are right now. They want to have a family. They don't want to stress out over starting a practice and all that. So when you talk about um, consolidation, one of the other pressures that you didn't mention 
It's just they don't have, you know, these small clinics just don't have an economy of scale. And so, you know, what we're seeing, because I've mentored a lot of people who have a clinic, they do maybe a million, million and a half, maybe two in um, in non-surgical. And they're, they're still, when you factor in fair market value of the doctor's time, they're still not making money. And there's no you know, no return there. And, and some of that is just economy of scale. Uh, a lot of it has to do with lack of sophistication and not running a good business. Mm-hmm. But I, I, are you seeing more of the consolidation in the in non-surgical areas? That, that's what you're saying, right? Yeah, so, that's what I, yeah, so we do a lot of work, obviously, over on the, the, the germ side. We do a lot of work in ophthalmology. Yeah. Um, and as we look in aesthetics, like right now, there's a huge wave of consolidation across Canada for uh, med spas and non-surgical practices, um, you know, where the, the, the PE money, that's the private equity money that's coming in, um, uh, it, but that never really worked out. I mean, a lot of PE money went after Derm. Sure, they're playing yeah. 12, 13 times uh, EBITDA. Yeah. And uh, a lot of those fell, well, not a lot, but a number of them fell flat in the States. Why, what do you attribute that? So, I mean, in the last in the last 23 years, I think I've seen three waves. If I look across specialties of, yeah. um, of uh, consolidation, and then, um, you know, there's we've seen those groups uh, settle out in one of three uh one of three models, I guess, uh, once the interest rates climb and it's no longer cheap enough to borrow money to make these deals make sense, we've seen groups that stabilize. Um, often they shed off some of the locations that were acquired that are non-performing or that were too hard to manage and become you know, large trusted national brands. We saw this happen in dentistry. It happened to, uh, in a couple places in ophthalmology. Um, and then we see those groups where, um, you know, the, when, when the bank, when the money comes due, that was borrowed by the private equity investors, and there is no next tier of buyer, um, often bankruptcy or some kind of uh, a defunding event happens, and practices are then able to, practice leaders, if they wish, can buy their practices back for pennies on the dollar. And then we've also seen just radical explosions where everything gets wiped out, all the doors close in those offices. Um, I don't, I don't know how long the current phase of acquisition is going to last in the states. I don't. I don't know for for some of these groups it, where that second or third tier of roll up is going to happen, mm-hmm. um, or how how it's going to end for most of the groups. But I do know that while it's happening, um, they are they are raising the bar in terms of um, you know what's needed to market and stand out when they're in your community, um, and they will they will take. I mean they're their imperative, you know, with their investors is to take market share. And so yeah. if you're operating in a space where there is a group in that market uh, that is uh, offering the services that you offer, it's something that you have to consider, you know, and at the same time, if we keep looking out, you know, in addition to this greater competition, there will be greater regulation. You know, Google dropped the news in September that um, if you were um, well the way the the release originally came out is that there was a prohibition that they were implementing on advertising what they called speculative and experimental therapies and they had explicitly named um, anything involving stem cells other than uh, bone marrow harvested stem cells for cancer therapies Mm -hmm. anything involving stem cells and all prp and we saw that advertising and we saw we saw that new policy and we said you know this is not a big deal most of our clients don't use pay-per-click advertising to promote PRP until last month, they actually qualified how they plan to implement the policy 
And the way that the policy has now been implemented is you can't run any PPC, pay-per-click advertising, mm -hmm. for any service on a site where you also talk about PRP. PRP. It's interesting to know. Right. Boy, so that's Google is now uh, essentially imposing their own kind of medical morality on practices. Uh, and I can give four or five other related examples where there are now external forces that for practices that are trying to grow in certain ways or that envision themselves as being kind of on the maybe the bleeding edge of medicine, uh, they're going to have to navigate very, very carefully. Back to, you know, back to just, do, let's face it, just do what's right. I mean, we know that, that PRP is controversial, right? You know, IV vitamin therapy, we know that's controversial. So maybe if you do the right thing, things will work out for you. Uh, hey, folks, I'm talking to uh, Ryan Miller, who's the CEO of uh, Aetna International, a, um, a national, actually international um, uh, marketing firm does primarily digital in the aesthetic space. I want to ask you one more thing before I, uh, first of all, I really appreciate you being on with me, Ryan. Um, you know, what do you, what do you like to do when you're not working? <laughs> Cooking and wine tasting. So I live on California, like California oh. Central Coast, which is the, uh, the second big wine region in California, second after Napa. And uh, I think I have... What's your favorite wine? Um, I think right now there's a, a winery not far from my house called Kinsey that makes a delicious Pinot. And uh, you like Pinot? Yeah, it's one of my favorites. So uh, yeah. we've got uh, a lot of people think a lot of people think that they're you know sophisticated drink Pinots, don't they? Well, it's well, unfortunately after <laughs> after Sideways that movie came out, that was a movie that was filmed just down the street from uh, from where I live here on the Central Coast, and uh, it devastated the local Merlot market. It elevated the local Pinot market, and uh, it's uh, I like Merlots. I, you know, they're, they're making a comeback. I, mean, I, come I love a wonderful uh, Red Zin too. I mean, I, I think that's another understatement. Uh, it's a little more bold than a Pinot, right? mm -hmm. but um, yeah, we've got a, a. So, is there, you know, just because I want to respect people's time and and I really appreciate you coming on and speaking with me, and I'm gonna I'm gonna tap into the for the for the Vegas meeting, uh, especially to be a moderator in a couple of panels because I so much of it ends up being a commercial, um, and and I really want some people asking some tough questions. So, um, any you know. Uh, any questions you have for me, um, you know, I mean, I know you deal with a lot of facial plastic surgeons, plastic surgeons. I appreciate coming on. Um, any last thoughts or, you know, questions you had for me? Well, you know, let's go back to where you start in the very beginning, which is, you know, this is about yeah. addressing anxiety. And, you know, I, I'd say from a last thought, and they'll have maybe a last question for you. Yeah. You know, I, I think anxiety is is really something that we experience as humans when we are confronting the unknown. And you know, for for your audience, what I would say is, um, you can understand these things. And if you're working with a partner who um, puts you in a position where you feel like you can't, you need to change that partner because that's um, that's just not the case. These things are are not nearly as complicated as the surgeries that you perform every day. The the technical aspects can be easily smoothed out, and you can make informed decisions if you've got uh, someone will take five minutes to walk well, you through. A let me let me challenge you a little bit. I don't disagree with you. You know, I don't disagree because I won't bore you with my misfires. You'll hear them at some point. Um, but by time you sign on, I mean, we've done our due diligence with people. We think we've done. Thank you, Don. Yeah. We ask around, you know, we, and by time you sign on with someone, it's at least a year commitment. Mm -hmm. And if you find out, you know, they're not chinning to, bar, to the bar, 
Um, and here's the thing that I learned, you know, again, as a leadership freak and as someone who's trying to grow a business, right, we're continuing to grow our business. I realized the rate limiting step in growing any business is your ability to attract, train and retain good people. I, I think you will agree with that, right? Because you've got 70 employees now. Um, and it took me years to figure that out, um, years to figure it out. Here's been one of my frustrations. You know, a lot of people, a lot of marketing companies, and again, I'm not you, but a lot of marketing companies uh, do a really good job at selling, but they don't do a really good job at leadership and running a team. And, uh, you know, you have a marketing executive who's not chinning to the bar, who can't deliver. And then there's turnover and then you get another, you know, and what basically your company is no different than in some ways mine. And if you don't have good people, and so you know, I've seen a lot of marketing companies grow and I don't want to say implode, but they just kind of hit a glass ceiling. And meanwhile, I'm wrapped up with them for a year and a half or two, and then try to get your website you know, back and then the before and afters don't come over. So this is really the anxiety and the frustration most of us. Uh, uh, I, we have learned so much in the last few years yeah. and I finally have so much more clarity. But it is daunting, you know, it is daunting for for well-intended, um, and again, especially people who don't have a, an economy scale. So look, how do how does someone get in touch with you? Right? Sure, sure. The easiest place to, to find us is online. We uh, Our website is etna, E-T-N-A, interactive.com. Uh, and of course, if you want to reach me personally, let's, uh, let's give you both things. My email, it's ryan at etnainteractive.com. Happy to take uh, inquiry directly. And if you want to reach us, it's 866-374-3762. That's awesome. And for those who want to reach me, it's uh, Dr. Edwin, E-D-W-I-N, Williams.com. We have a website. Uh, I love to cover different topics. And, and one of the reasons I love doing this is I learn a lot, too. You know, um, And I uh, recently had a book come out. Uh, basically, uh, what's it called? It's called uh, The White Coat Entrepreneur. So uh, for those of you who are aspiring to do something more than just do a little surgery. And uh, and I, one of the, my big, the big myth that I like to dispel in there is you can be a good surgeon and a really good doctor and also be a good business person as well. So um, I really appreciate uh, you taking the time, Ryan, and your busy uh, travel schedule and i look forward to seeing you at one of the upcoming meetings excellent dr williams thanks again and for having me